everybody tonight? So, for all you uh, natives, if we have any tonight, is winter over? Can I take my bike out? Because it looks like I should be taking my bike out about now. I mean, May, the rock checks came out? That means winter's over, right? <laughs> Boo on the rock checks or winter being over? <laughs> if you guys have your Bibles with you, let's open up to uh, Proverbs chapter 24. We're about ready to, to wrap up the book of Proverbs. As we do tonight, again, we want to remind ourselves... Pay attention to the road signs. Jesus came and he told his disciples, come and follow me. The book of Proverbs is the road signs. What does the road look like when we're walking the path of life? What does it look like when we're following God in obedience to him? So Proverbs 24, where we find ourselves tonight, says, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. By wisdom a house is built, by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Wisdom is too high for a fool, in the gate he will not open his mouth. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? And does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Lie in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. My son, fear the Lord and the King, and do not join with those who do otherwise, for disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. These also are sayings of the wise. Partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples and abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, 
And do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. Behold, it was overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And I saw and considered it. I looked, and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Let's pray. God, we lift up your word tonight, Lord, I pray that you would guide us and lead us by your spirit, Lord. Lead us as we seek to observe, Lord, what it is that your word is laying out for us, as we seek to interpret what it means, Lord, and we seek to make that application into our life. We, we just ask that you would guide, open our eyes, open our ears, God, help us to be a man seeking wisdom and not a fool seeking his own way. Lord God, we pray that you be glorified in this place as we honor you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're beginning with saying number 20. You may remember about uh, two chapters ago, we started what was called the 30 wise sayings. 30 wise sayings is a group of 30 proverbs that Solomon brought together that are the result of his travel throughout the world and his accumulating the wise sayings from everywhere he went. And he went through, poured through his library and pulled out these 30 wise sayings that God directed and led him to place here in the book of Proverbs for you and I. So we're on number 20. We'll finish the 30 uh, tonight. Number 20 is, do not envy the wicked. Sometimes I think we can look at the wicked and we think that they've got it better. I'm trying to do it right and they're getting ahead. And so we start to develop this envy or jealousy of the wicked. And what God wants to remind us and what we need to remind ourselves is where does that road go? You may have all kind of riches now. You may even experience some measure of blessing here on the earth, because the word of God tells us that the rain falls on the wicked and the good. But where does the road end? If you acknowledge that what God's word says is true, then we know that road ends in destruction, right? And if it ends in destruction, why would you envy that? Don't envy the wicked. Look what he says, verse 1. Don't be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. Don't let what it looks like they have be that thing that draws you off of the path of life, right? The path of life following Jesus Christ does not always satisfy us immediately, right? Sometimes we have to learn to delay our gratification. Anybody ever struggle with that? Delayed gratification? No? I'm the only one? I pretty much want it now. I don't want to have to wait. Um, But I can recognize when I look at the men who I know who are living in rebellion against God, and even though it may look now like they're getting away with something or they're enjoying their life more than I am, I know where the road goes. I don't want to trade roads. I don't want to end up in that same place that they're at. It says in verse 2, For their hearts devise violence, and their lips speak evil or malice. Their lips talk of 
trouble. So we know that road. That road is in opposition to the road that Christ would have us walk. Don't envy the wicked. Don't let that distract you on your way. Saying 21, verses 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Remember, as we look at the book of Proverbs, there are several comparisons. One is wisdom and the fool. Wisdom is the way following Christ. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So the fool is walking the path of destruction. The wise man is following the Lord. All wisdom and knowledge, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus our Lord. We talked about that in the book of Colossians. So as we look here, wisdom is how we build our house, following Jesus. Jesus told a parable about this, didn't he? A wise man builds his house on what? Yeah, so if the wise man builds his rock on the or builds his house on the rock, then his house is going to withstand the storm. Yes? The fool builds his house on what? Sand, right? Now the storm comes to both of them, doesn't it? But the storm wipes out the 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 fool and the wise man has that foundation. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 would tell us that the rock is Christ. Building your house on the rock. Proverbs would say, the rock is wisdom. Same thing, right? The personification of wisdom in the book of Proverbs all point to the reality that Jesus Christ is that rock. He is the foundation upon which our house should be built. And understanding is how we establish it. How we make it firm. By knowledge, we fill the rooms. The knowledge of who? The knowledge of Him, right? Paul prayed that we would know the height, the breadth, the width, the depth of the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, that we have come to a fuller understanding of who He is. So saying number 21 is saying, this is how you build your house. You build it, establish it, and fill it with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, all illustrations of Christ. Follow Jesus, build your house. Follow him, walk that path, and you will find the way of life. Saying 22, a wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Now the idea of this proverb is wisdom and knowledge is more important than strength alone or might alone. Wisdom and knowledge, again, remember when we go through the book of Proverbs, is personified in the concept of following God, following Christ, looking after his leading. So the wise man has strength. Why? Because he's following Jesus. The wise man has might. Why? Because he's following Jesus, because he is in the way of the Lord. When Gideon was hiding in the bottom of the pit, and the angel showed up to him and said, Oh, mighty man of valor. Did Gideon look like a mighty man of valor then? No. He's hiding from his enemy. It was not some crazy, brave warrior. But when Gideon followed the Lord, was there anything he couldn't do? No. What about Joshua? Joshua, when he followed the Lord in the conquest of Canaan, when he followed, who was leading the army? Joshua's going out the night before battle, and who does he run into? Commander of the Lord's army, you remember? Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Whose side are you on? No, are you on our side or their side? He says, no, I'm on the Lord's side. 
Joshua followed the, the battle plan of the Lord, and what did he have? Strength and might. Victory is, hinges more on a right relationship with God and a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ than it does on the power of your arm or your ability to wield a sword or handle a gun. <coughs> it's far more important to be standing with God. Wisdom and knowledge following the Lord is the key to waging war. And the result of following God in that is going to be strength and might. And in the abundance of counselors, learning to listen, learning to hear, right? Learning not necessarily to be swayed, but to hear in the abundance of counselors, the Lord is saying there will be, you will find God's voice, wisdom there, and victory. Saying 23 is Proverbs 24-7. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. Wisdom is too high for a fool. The idea is that a fool can't reach it. Why? Why can't a fool reach wisdom? Because wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And a fool begins with what? There is no God. So those are diametrically opposed concepts. They can't be brought together. They can't be coalesced. So the only way for a fool to become wise... It's to lay down what made him a fool in the first place. And to recognize that the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. So he can't reach wisdom. So then the next part of the parable says, then he will be quiet in the gate. The gate was a place of rulership in the ancient world. The gate is where the leaders of the town would sit and judge over different issues. If something came up, <coughs> something was going on... Um, well, you guys know, like, like when uh, the, the two women each said they had the baby and they came to Solomon. Those kind of things would be brought to the men in the gate. The men in the gate, the leaders of the town. And so the fool will be quiet. The idea is, and here I think some people, I think in, in a lot of ways we have failed. Um... In some regard, our nation, because we think it's not important that someone should be a believer to lead. But that's kind of what the Bible says here, right? The wisdom, the key to wisdom, knowledge, understanding, strength, and might begins with someone who has a relationship with the Lord. If we were to look at the study of the kings, right? First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. If we look at that, how did God decide the difference between a good king and a bad king? A good king was one who walked in the ways of the Lord. And a bad king was one who did not. A good king followed the Lord and his direction, paid attention to the street signs, walked the path of life, and a bad king didn't. A bad king said, there is a way that seems right to me, I'm going to walk that way, and it led to what? Destruction, rebellion against God. So it would seem to me that what God is looking for is the godly to rise up and lead. He is looking for the godly to stand up and say, you know what, there's a source of wisdom in Christ. Now our world may reject that, that's okay. Right? If you stood up and the, and the world rejected your leadership or your attempt at leadership... 
then that's not on you. However, if we just sit down on the couch and complain, it is. We need to engage the culture. We need to engage what's going on. And we have allowed that, or we have let that go. And we even say, right, sometimes when we talk about who the next president is, or who's running for Congress, or even who's running for our our state government, uh, as elections uh, uh, begin to wind up a little bit, as we look at those things, sometimes we say, well, it doesn't really matter if they're a believer or not. Well, why not? Why, why don't it matter? And if they're not a believer, how come there's not a believer willing to say, I'll, I'll, I'll run, I'll, I'll, I'll step up, I'll try to use the wisdom of God to lead our nation back to where she needs to go. Once upon a time, the church and believers were a part of that. And somewhere along the journey, the church and leadership decided to step out. And we're reaping the harvest now, right? So we can, all of us, complain and say, well, the die is cast and this is as good as it's going to get. Or we can say, maybe Jesus will come back tomorrow and we won't have to deal with it. Or we can get re-engaged. That's a lot of work, but... Nonetheless, it's important work. It's important to be a part of that process, a part of what's going on. Look at saying 24, and uh, saying 25, we'll get back to that subject again. Saying 24 says, um, verse 8 and 9, Whoever plans to do evil is called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. So, He's saying, okay, look, if there is a person who plans evil, he's going to be called a schemer. A schemer, which would probably be the state of of most of the world, um, planning to do evil. The devising of folly, foolishness, planning on foolishness is sin. And the scoffer, the scoffer the word lays out is an abomination of mankind. Now remember, the scoffer, you had three steps to the... In essence, to the fool, you had the simple, which is the guy who's innocent and and really um, doesn't understand it all yet, doesn't that, doesn't quite get it all. Then from the the simple, you move to the scoffer. The scoffer begins his mocking and his uh, rebellion against God, which is fully realized in the fool when he says there is no God. So he says the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. It's not helping man. Does it help man the more man rebels against God? How we read our Bibles, how did that work out? The greatest culmination of rebellion against God was probably in the book of Genesis at uh, the Tower of Babel. Everybody remember the story? Nimrod, a mighty hunter against the Lord, raises up all of mankind in union, in unity and rebellion against God. In essence, saying the same thing the devil said in the beginning, I will make my throne above the Most High. God says the thoughts of man is only evil continually. So, he divides the nations. The confusion of speech, the dividing of the nations, and God says, I will pull a light out of the darkness. I will pull a people out of the darkness, through whom I will shine a light to the Gentiles, to the nations. 
through the nation of Israel, ultimately pointing to Messiah and Jesus Christ, God is going to redeem. So, the mocking, the scoffing, the foolishness of man, did it make anything better? Never does. Why? It's a path of destruction. Where does that road lead? To death. So if I'm on that road, is there time to change? Can I turn around? Can I repent, change my direction? Can I hear the cry of my Savior saying, come follow me? Sure I can. Sure I can. Until, you, until you're dead, there's time. <laughs> there's time to turn around, to pay attention to the street signs. We don't want to be the evil <coughs> schemer, um, which is an abomination to mankind. Now look at saying 25. It's important. Again, on the, on the subject that we've been kind of discussing uh, it says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So, <clears throat> um, we had a, a ministry that was that was working out at Planned Parenthood. We no longer have that going on right now. Just uh, lack of of uh, uh, folks willing to help out and and make that happen. But this was the verse. For not only for that ministry, but for Operation Rescue and then Abortion Now. And here's what it said. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we didn't know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? The idea of this proverb, as we come to look at this proverb, proverb uh, saying number 25, is kind of consistent with what we read about in James. James talks about sins of commission and sins of omission, right? For you to know what you ought to do and not to have done it, James says that's, that's sin, the proverb here says, if you run out of juice in the day of adversity, when things get hard, your strength is small. What did we talk about earlier? Where is the source of strength and might? In wisdom, right? In following wisdom. In, in being connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But Paul would write, through Christ, we can do what? All things, right? I can do all things through Christ. So if I faint in the day of adversity, my strength is small, is indicating I may not be, my walk may not be quite where it needs to be. And then he gives us two commands. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. To me, it's a, it's a shout to engage in the things you know that are going on in your world that are wrong. I'm not only talking about abortion or, or it can be whatever. It could be the Lord has laid in your heart to be a part of the political scene in our community or in our state or whatever. If God has said, hey, rescue those who are perishing, rescue those who are being taken away to death, get involved, become a part, and we don't do it. Well, what's the rest of the proverb say? And it, the point of the proverb is not to, to 
provide guilt unless guilt is what you need. The point of the proverb is to say, this is the path of life. The path of life is engaged in the things that are right and wrong in our world. It's not hiding. It's not isolating. It's a part of the process. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Kind of indicates that people are doing something that they don't really know or recognize is wrong. So it's hold them back. Don't let them continue on to the slaughter. Try to stop them. Try to engage. To me, that was a great picture of what happened at Planned Parenthood. You get 10 seconds. 15? Maybe. If they, if they talk to you. And they're definitely stumbling to the slaughter. And they're definitely about to commit murder. Regardless of whether or not our nation will call it that. The word of God says, rescue those who are being taken to death. Hold back the stumbling. And then he says, he, he speaks to our heart. If you say, behold, we didn't know this. Oh, I didn't know this was going on. I didn't know this was happening. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does God know your heart? Yeah. So the concept is God knows your heart. He who keeps watch over you knows why you are or are not engaged in whatever thing God has laid on your heart. I, I, I think of it like this. In Romans, the Lord says for the unbeliever, his conscience will judge him. What does that mean? Well, it's simple. You'll stand before God, an unbeliever will stand before God, and God will say to him, did your conscience ever tell you something you were, you were doing was wrong? Anybody ever done something that they felt in their conscience they shouldn't do? Yeah, so that pretty much gets us all, don't it? And then God's going to say, then your conscience condemns you. You knew it was wrong, and you did it. Whether you knew the law of God or not, irregardless, your conscience told you. Well, the same way for we who are believers on the day of reckoning, not a day of salvation, I'm not saying God's stripping away your salvation, but we understand there's a day of reckoning for us, right? There's a day of reckoning where you will stand before Jesus Christ. You will stand before him at the Bema seat judgment. Not a judgment of salvation or loss, but a judgment of what did I do? What did I do with my life that I pledged to him? And that day will be a day of reckoning. Where God says to me, Jackie, did you know you should have done something about this? Man, yeah. Did your conscience tell you? <laughs> yeah. At worst, or at best, my conscience. At worst, it was the Holy Spirit, right? And it's my job to respond to that. And so this proverb is saying, we want to get on the path of life? Listen. And understand, does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay each man according to his work? We were studying this morning, and I have a, a group of guys. We get together and do some discipleship Wednesday mornings at 6. <coughs> and we were discussing this morning uh, the fall of Cain and Abel. And it's interesting to me that immediately God goes to Cain and says, Cain, what have you done? Where's your brother? And he gives that famous line, right? Am I my brother's keeper? And God says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. That was one man murdered. 
Now our world is full of how many? And how many murders? Not even, not just period. All across the board. Every, all the whole scope. How much blood is crying out to the Lord today in comparison to Genesis? There will be a reckoning. The Bible said in the Old Testament that, that innocent blood stained a nation so that God wouldn't deal with that nation because they were, they were um, polluted with innocent blood. Something, something needed to happen. So our whole world is like that. Not just us, United States. I mean, it, it's everywhere. It's, it's all over the place. But we need to recognize then, what is our role as believers? Where, where do we stand? Didn't, didn't the Lord say we're to be salt and light? So, so salt has to be engaged, right? Salt sitting on your shelf, does it do anything? Yeah, you get up and I've got that big baked potato and all mashed and butter on it. And, but if I just put the salt on the shelf and sit down and eat my potato, there's no salt in it. Salt's got to be in it. It's got to engage. If I never take a light into a dark room, does anything change in a dark room? Same deal if I, if I set the, 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 the lampstand under a bushel. Nothing happens, right? The Lord said, don't hide your light. What are you supposed to do with it? Let it shine. Right? Salt that has lost its flavor is good for what? The Bible says not good for nothing. Might as well throw it on the ground and trample it. So we're to be salt and light, engaged in the culture, and a part of what's going on in our world. And I'm not trying to tell anybody what that is for you. I think the Holy Spirit's already done it. We, we all have those things, whatever the thing is. We all have those things, those burdens, those passions within us that we excuse why we don't, or, or, or don't get involved or aren't involved. And I just encourage it. Don't feel guilty. Just be obedient. If God's telling you to do something, do something. You'll be happier in the day of adversity if you have strength and might because you're following obedience to what God has called you to do. If we have run with the footmen and become weary, we're not ready for the horses, are we? Yes, trust me, the days of the horses are coming. So we better get in shape. Be a part of engaging our culture. Lots of ways we need to do it, right? Yeah, you turn 360 degrees, every degree, there's somebody that, that, that we should be reaching out to. We should, be, we should be engaged in some way with refugees who are here. Don't they need Jesus? Last I checked, the God said that we're supposed to take the word to who? Well, everywhere, right? Well, God's even bringing them to our door. Hey, here. I'm just going to bring them right to your town. Set them here. Right? We, th- there should be some way we're engaged in meeting that need. Let it, somebody else fight over whether or not people should come. We should be taking that opportunity to teach them about the love of Christ. No? We should be engaged in those areas in our life. We look around and we see something where the wickedness of man is jumped out before us and we're like, man, I, 
somebody should do something about this. Well, when you hear yourself say that, just put your name in the somebody. I should do something about this. I should find a way. You know, it's crazy how in our day, slavery still exists. No? It blows my mind that people can kidnap young boys and girls and they live a a life of sexual slavery in the United States. Somebody should do something about that. You're right. (laughs) And, And it's not out there. It ought to be in here. It ought to be a response from the body of Christ. And for me, you know, I just need to be faithful to what God's told me because there will be a reckoning for me. I will stand on the carpet before the Lord. And I really want to hear, well done, good and faithful, don't you? What I don't want to hear is, Jackie, man, what happened? I I, I tried to direct you toward this. But you were not willing. I don't want to... That's not what I want to hear, <laughs> right? So, rather than regret, we should do something about that. We ought to do something about that desire and feeling within us now. Why we have an opportunity. Look at saying 26, because I think this is our motivation. My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Saying 26, eat honey. And what's he going to compare that to? Look at the very next one in verse 14. Know that wisdom is just like this. Wisdom is such to your soul. The knowledge of Christ is such to your soul. Obedience to Christ is such to your soul. It's like eating honey. Yeah? It's not bad. It's not horrific. It's not any of those things. It is satisfying. It is sweet. It is good. It is desirable. So we want to respond Why? Because he says, if you know wisdom is such to your soul, if you find it, what's he say? You will have a future and a hope. That should remind you of something, doesn't it? Seems like future and a hope comes up somewhere else. Yeah, Jeremiah 29, 11. When When the children of Israel are being dragged into slavery and everything in their life looks terrible, and Jeremiah gives this word, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Where's our future and hope come from? Knowing the Lord. Walking in obedience to Him. Being directed by Him and then responding to whatever it is that He's directing us to. Right? Because Paul would tell us, right, I didn't make you all thumbs. Did he? I didn't make you all fingers. I didn't make you all ears. I didn't make you all eyes. We're all individual parts of the body of Christ. Agreed? And each individual part of the body of Christ has an unction. That it's, a, it's an old church word that I love. Unction is a, a movement of the Spirit in your soul directing you, pointing you somewhere. There's some heaviness, some passion, some unction that, that we should respond to. And when we do, it's sweet as honey, even though the job may be a drag. There's satisfaction when we are being obedient to what God has called us to. There's satisfaction when we fulfill that. (coughs) Saying 27 is in verse 15 and 16. 
says, Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. So what's he talking about? Saying, look, don't lie in wait like a wicked man for the righteous. Why has he got to say that? Well, where, does, where do most people bicker at? Right here. What do you mean they bicker? Oh, they bicker. We are a bickering lot. Every time you guys read Genesis, Exodus, and you, and you think the children of Israel are bickering in the wilderness, man, just pick up a mirror and stand it up and take a look at it, because we do it too. We get the bickerlies. So what's he saying? Don't lie and wait like a wicked man for the righteous. Your brother in Christ, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by how you love each other, not how well you bicker. Right? So we want to we wanna be loved. Now, that doesn't mean love, does, love confronts, for sure. But what love doesn't do is lie like a wicked man for the destruction of a righteous man's house. Doesn't, doesn't seek to tear down a righteous man's house, but rather, rather it recognizes in verse 16 that the righteous man falls seven times, but what happens every time? He rises again. Now, the point of that is, when you look at a brother or someone who is following Christ as a righteous person and they've blown it, you should remind yourself, a righteous man does fall. Seven times is the number of what? Perfection, completion. So a righteous man falls as much as he falls. Anybody ever known a righteous man to fall more than once? Twice? Ten times? I know I can just look in the mirror, right? There's plenty of falling just in my own life. The righteous man falls, but the difference is a righteous man gets up. Why? Because where does his strength and might come from? His relationship with the Lord, right? The repentance is driven from that point, and he gets back on the road. But the wicked, in the day of calamity, at the day of judgment, what does he do? He stumbles. The, eye, the concept is the wicked man falls permanent. Where's the end of that road go? So I don't want to lay and wait like a wicked man. I want to deal with things like God's Word says. Does God's Word give us a way to solve our problems? What, is the, what does the Word of God tell me to do if i got a problem with a brother? It's the hardest thing. In, I must say this 10,000 times in 20 years of ministry. So, i got a problem with a brother. I'm supposed to go to the brother and talk to them one-on-one. Right? So, do me a favor before you guys make an appointment with me. That's, that's going to be my first question to you. Have you talked to whoever? Uh, yeah, okay, before you come to me, that's like skipping ahead a few steps, right? So if you've got a problem with your brother, go one-to-one with your brother and make it right. Don't act like a wicked man. Act like a righteous man, right? Recognize the righteous fall just like the wicked do, but the righteous rise again. Does that make sense? I hope it does. I hope we can see it. He goes on now in, uh, in uh, saying 28. Proverbs uh, 24, 17, and 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from him. There's a sense in the prophets where any time God is going to speak about the return from exile of the nation of Israel... He's going to, at the same time, talk about his judgment against Edom. God's judgment against Edom is that Edom rejoiced when God judged Israel. 
And so Israel knows when Edom gets judged for what they did, we know the end. It's coming around full circle. And the exile is about to end. We ought to have the same attitude as God. And I think sometimes we think we do when we stand in righteous indignation, but what we don't understand is that God's word very clearly declares he has no glory in the destruction of the wicked. God doesn't enjoy putting anybody down. Now, does God do it, and is he righteous when he does? Absolutely. Right? But he doesn't glory in it, nor does he expect us to. We don't rejoice in the fall of the wicked. When does heaven rejoice? Oh, so when a sinner turns, when a sinner repents and changes his direction, gets off the path of destruction, gets on the path of life, then what, what happens? All of heaven has a giant party, right? That's rejoicing, and that ought to be the attitude that we have. There's no glory in the destruction of the wicked. There's no rejoicing. There's no, they got what they deserve. That was a hard one for me. As a Marine, I spent a lot of time thinking they got what they deserved. Well, yes, they did. And God's judgment is always right and true. But I don't want to rejoice in God's judgment. I want to rejoice in His grace. I don't want to rejoice in His judgment. Um, and again, I want to emphasize, I'm not saying His judgment is wrong. His judgment is always right. But I want to rejoice when someone repents and turns. Uh, that is a change in my priority and my focus that gets my heart in line with God's. So that I have the same attitude that God has over the wicked. I want to have that way. I want to have that, that right kind of attitude. Saying 29, <coughs> Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Again, we have the retouching of the concept in saying 29. Don't be envious of the wicked. Where's their road end? So don't be envious of the wicked. They have no future. They have no future. I heard a man say one time, discussing a family member who is, uh, who is lost, doesn't know the Lord. And he said, you know, I, I try to do as, as much good for him as I can because I recognize that his future right now is hell. So I try to have the kind of patience just because I know that that's where he's going. Keeping that sober reminder helps us not be envious of where they are. No matter how much stuff they might have. Not to be envious of the wicked. And then finally, saying number 30. My son, fear the Lord and the King. Do not join with those who do otherwise for disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Fear the Lord and the King. The King is a representative of God's authority, right? God established government. Uh, the, the idea is not blind obedience to government, but the acknowledgement that God has established it. And so, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Following God, walking with Him, we are, we are also to, uh, as much as possible, honor the king. Didn't Paul say the same thing? Fear the Lord, honor the king. Why does he tell us that? Well, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to honor him, pray for him, lift him up, 
right? Until there is a dividing line that says rebellion is mandated because of disobedience against God, something that flies in the face of the Lord, right? For the Old Testament prophets, more often than not, it was the destroying of innocent life. It was the sacrificing of their children. And God would say, what are you guys doing? I didn't tell you to do that. You need to stop. So there was that, that point in which the prophets would then arise with a word against the king. <clears throat> but in every, in every way and in every time, the prophet was uh, respectful before the king. He didn't fall short of telling him what he needed to hear. But he did fulfill that purpose. So that ends the 30 wise sayings. You'll notice in, in uh, verse, where are we at? In, in verse um, 23, it says, these also are sayings of the wise. So he's going to go on. You know, he's got a PS to this, to the 30 wise sayings. But we'll talk about that one next time. Okay? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for the truth of your word. God, I do pray that it would be our job to say, I, I need to bring myself in line with your word. I need to bring myself uh, into a proper response of what your word is asking me to do, where you're directing me and calling me to walk, to be the man that you're asking me to be, Lord. I, I pray, God, that we would see the street signs, recognize where you're calling us to turn, where you're calling us to repent, change our direction, and get back in line with you. I pray that our heart would be to seek wisdom, to seek Jesus Christ and the knowledge of him, and to know him and the way, the, the, the path that he calls us to walk. And then be obedient. Be obedient to where you have directed us. God, I pray that you would uh, just continue to develop and anoint the desire within us to be uh, the man and woman that you're asking us to be, Lord. And we pray that you be glorified in and through it all as we lay it before you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.